Welcome back to the grinder folks got James Chapman the chipmunk with no eyebrows chipmunk with no eyebrows yeah I changed it up this time I I don't know what that is you lost me on that one I like the dolphin the dolphin with no eyebrows has meaning all right this has no meaning well your cheeks just look oh I'm cheeky today is what you're saying yeah okay all right gotcha gotcha Um, I'm excited can I jump into it go ahead go ahead I'm fired up all right. It might be the amount of caffeine I have running through my system today. It may be the breakthrough I have every time. Every, you, you always know when I do like this, my whiteboard here takes up a whole wall. I got filled with stuff this afternoon. We're working on the business, but um, I'm excited today for myself selfishly and for our guests. Cause we have our listeners, excuse me. Cause we have an amazing guest today, Michelle Seiler Tucker. All right. Michelle is like, She's like the Batman of selling businesses, okay? All right? That's not her official bio. I just made that up. She's like the superwoman of selling businesses. Sold, uh, her, her company sold over 1,000 businesses, and um, she also has written a new book. And look, this is what we do on this podcast. We, we talk about your growth as an individual, as your company. We always talk about the next tier, the next wall you're trying to get over. Look, you're doing this not for a J-O-B, you're doing this to make a better future for yourself. And as I get older, the more I realize how important it is to make this company work for me and also what it's going to provide me when I don't want to come in here every single day and do the same things I'm doing now, making it valuable for yourself. So with that being said, I'm going to let Michelle tell uh, more about herself, but welcome, Michelle. Thank you for being part of the podcast today. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chipmunk. that's a new one all right so don't pay no attention to that thank you thanks for having me it's a pleasure to be here it's It's great to have you so so tell everybody a little bit more there's a lot more than just you sell businesses yeah i mean tell us what you're an expert at so we're really i'm really an expert at buying selling fixing and growing companies i've been selling businesses for over 20 years before mergers and acquisitions, I did franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting. I think what makes me unique is I've owned many different businesses and several different verticals. So I really know what it's like to sit on the other side of the desk and try to make payroll. I'll, I know what it's like to plan your exit and sell a business um, from my own experiences. Plus, I partner with business owners. I invest my money, my expertise, my resources to help business owners build that sellable asset so they can exit rich and I buy companies and flip them plus I sell companies plus I merge companies and like I said we've been doing this for about 20 years and you know I learned very quickly that what Steve Forbes said is true that 80 to 90 percent of businesses will not sell so that's a huge huge you know what's that 
Why is that? Why, why will 89? There's so awesome? many reasons for that. Um, first and foremost, it's because business owners never think about selling their business until a catastrophic event has occurred. Health issues, partner disputes, divorce, death, um, COVID. You know, we just had a, a little lady call us a few months ago that's been, her husband was in business for 40, I think 30, 40 years. He dropped dead of a heart attack. She knew nothing about the business, left her with a mountain of debt. She said, honey, can you please help me? And I tried, but he didn't have anything. He didn't have a business. He had a glorified job. He was, a, he was in construction. He had all subcontractors and 1099s. He didn't have any employees. He had no processes. He didn't have an infrastructure in place. So he didn't have a business that was sellable. Everything was in his head. And when he died, the business went along with him. So it's unfortunate because he left her with a mountain of debt that she doesn't know how she's going to get, you know, outside of. So that's one of the number one reasons is that business owners don't plan their exit. Also, the number two reason is that business owners have unrealistic expectations. So when they do decide they want to sell due to a catastrophic event, they want $20 million for their company and their company's uh, cash flow is maybe a hundred grand. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and they base that value, not based upon what the, the company is worth, but based upon what they need to enter the next phase of their life, what they need to retire on, what they need to buy a business on, what they need to send five girls to college and pay for five girls' weddings. You know, buyers don't care about what you need. Buyers care about what the value is. And then the other reason is business owners are the business. They work in their business instead of on their business. They've created a glorified job in which they go to work at every day versus a business that works for them. And they really haven't built a business that buyers want to buy. There is no shortage of buyers. There is a shortage of good businesses to buy. Wow. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So we have more buyers for good businesses. When we get businesses with EBITDA of over a million dollars, I mean, that's the sweet spot. Is EBITDA of, or an EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Mm-hmm. And when we get EBITDA over a million dollars, we're going to have hundreds and hundreds of buyers bidding on that one business because there are more buyers than there are good businesses. So, what, what would you say? What percentages of small businesses are, have EBITDA of over a million? Too small. <laughs> Too small. Not enough, right? Okay. All Not right. enough. And in the business landscape, has really changed and has really flip-flopped. When I wrote my first book uh, in 2013 called Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, I did the, the research and learned that, you know, 85 to 95% of all startups will go out of business within those first one to five years. You guys know that. I mean, that's pretty mm-hmm. much common knowledge, right? Yeah. But when I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and 2020, I did the exact same research. And listen to this. This is just mind-boggling. The business landscape has completely flip-flopped. Now it's only 30% of startups will go out of business, only 30%. So those one to five years are not that risky anymore. However, out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business 10 years or longer. 70% of those businesses will go out of business. Seven zero. So it's not so much a percentage of, it's not so much a question of what percentage has even over a million. It's about what percentage can stay alive now? And the reason for that, I mean, you hear about the big, you know, public companies all the time, like Toys R Us was in business 75 years, closed out of business. Kmart, Steinmart, Pier 1, Godiva just closed down 1,500 locations. Um, GNC is closing down 900 locations. But you're not hearing about the private businesses. On every street corner, in every town, in every state across 
the USA. These business owners are selling for pennies on the dollar, closing their business, or even worse, filing bankruptcy. That's why I wrote Exit Rich, is to tell business owners there's a better way. And if you plan your exit from the beginning and build your business on what we call the six Ps, then you'll have a sustainable, scalable, and when you're ready, sellable company. And you won't have to exit poor. (laughs) And that's not what you want. It makes me think when you say that only 30% fell now instead of 80 to 90, it makes me automatically think that people are running smaller shops where there's a lot more uh, solopreneurs out there than people building it with with more staff, more overhead. Is that what you're seeing? I mean, what do you think contributes to that going down that percentage? That's not what I'm seeing. That's not what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's why 70% of those businesses are going out of business versus the 30 versus the 30% that are going out of business. It's because business owners stop doing one thing. And that thing is aim, A-I-M. Always innovate and market. Always innovate and market. They stop innovating. Look at Blockbuster. Blockbuster sold Netflix. They saw the writing on the wall. They had an opportunity to buy Netflix. They sat back fat and happy and did nothing and went out of business. You have to innovate. You cannot do business the way you've always done. You're either growing or dying. And these business owners are dying because they're married to their idea. They're married to their concept. This is their baby. And they want to do it the way they've always done it. And that's why they're going out of business. That's why Toys R Us went out of business. Toys R Us. Do you know that Toys R Us never changed one thing in almost 70 years? I think I, think I heard something <laughs> that's like that. crazy. Yeah. yeah. So that's why they're going out of businesses. The business. And the reason why startups are not failing at that high rate anymore is because startups have become more innovative. Right. They become more problem solving. They've become more solution oriented. They're listening to the clients. They're figuring out what the problem is and they're finding a solution. Plus, you got a lot more, more millennials right. starting businesses than ever before. And let me tell you something. Millennials got some pretty good ideas. <laughs> you <laughs> know, right, they're out there solving problems. And, you know, like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world. So business owners have been in business 10 years or longer. They need to start innovating. Yeah. And they need to start innovating quickly. Otherwise, they're going to be out of business. So that's the big issue right there. And that's, that's something that we talked about um, a little while ago, right, right when COVID-19 kind of became a thing uh, last year, um, we started talking about how are we going to get ahead of this in the sense of how are we going to do things differently than we've done before, right? Yep. Because you yep. noticed that the companies that were not doing anything right off the hip started seeing... Uh, a, a massive decline, you know, obviously there were shutdowns, but uh, a massive decline in client communication and saying, hey, this is the problem that you're seeing. Well, let's let's figure out a new way to get around it. Um, and even with, you know, in real estate, we were having trouble showing houses. So it was like, how can we how can we show houses without having to meet a client in person? And so yeah. it was, you know, using the technology at hand, becoming a little bit more innovative, um, innovative. In, in the sense that there's, there's other options to always achieve a better goal, right? Um, and that's, that's something that James and I talked about a few times. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, I am thankful. Not, definitely, I don't, I don't want anybody to hurt, but like the impact COVID had on my business 
uh, which is not all COVID based. This is this has been since the beginning of time. I'm assuming Michelle. So we're we're trying to hone in on that. But the thing that I got was it after COVID happened, it wasn't so much my loss of business. It was me realizing I didn't know all my numbers and what made my business tick. Like I didn't know if my buying ratios were up, <laughs> like any of that. And that was a huge wake up call for me. Now I can tell you by individual salesperson what the binding ratios are. I know I, I've pretty much built out everything that makes my office tick. It's taken me almost an entire year to do so. And that I am very thankful for. And what's crazy is I've bought four agencies now. So I buy other agencies, I acquire them, I bring them into mine, I make it better. My problem, what, and I always said it, I probably told Addison this, you know, I would go to look at an agency, it was always, they didn't know their numbers. And that always told me a lot. I go to buy somebody and they wouldn't know their numbers. They would guess and it would be way off. I had turned into that guy. I didn't know my numbers, <laughs> you know? And so it was a, it was a huge wake up call for me, but you know, not knowing what makes my business tick, it was, it, it just blew my mind. I was like, man, I have been sitting here and I'm fortunate. This is the call. Like this is the, this is happening now than 20 years from now yeah. when, when it's a lot bigger and it could be a lot easier to topple. I think that's a good point, you know, and I always tell, always tell people, look at things like COVID and, you know, don't say, why is this happening to me? But say, why is this happening for me? Mm -hmm. right. What can I learn out of this negative experience that I can turn into a positive? And I will tell you, James, you're not alone. I mean, almost every single business owner that I've ever dealt with doesn't know their numbers. <laughs> and the biggest issue that we have when we're doing valuations is normalizing the financials and trying to get the personal expenses, trying to get the non-recurring expenses because, Business owners live out of their business and they don't document things. Mm -hmm. So when it's time for them to sell their business, they think we are psychics and we can just look at a little crystal ball and tell them exactly what they're running through the business. So it's, a, it's imperative to know your numbers. It's also imperative to have those checks and balances in place and inspect what you expect. Trust but verify because so many business owners have been through multiple embezzlements. Because they don't keep their, their pulse, you know, they don't keep, they don't inspect what they expect. So it's always, I mean, knowing your numbers is one of the most important things about running your business. So what would you tell somebody that's um, young and hungry in business and they're trying to grow one from scratch? Do you mm -hmm. think now is a great time to find a business to try to purchase it instead of just trying to go grow organically? Because that has been massive for me over the last nine years instead of trying to grow all organically, find one I know I can improve, mm -hmm. buy it at, at, at a fair deal for mm -hmm. both of us, and then improve upon that. That has been yeah, huge. Yeah, so growing through acquisitions is always better and typically quicker than growing through organic, going, you know, organically. It's always better to do that. But do you, you think know? now is a good time for that? Like for I think it depends upon the industry. No. You know, yeah, it's on the industry. I mean, if you own a restaurant, do you want to go grow organically? Do you want to go grow through acquisitions and buy a bunch of restaurants? Maybe mm -hmm. if you're a good restaurateur and you know what you're doing, yeah. but it really depends upon the industry. What are you in? Advertising media? I, I'm an insurance. Oh, you're an insurance. Oh yeah. yeah. Go buy agent. Oh yeah. yeah. That's not going anywhere. <laughs> That's yeah. a no brainer. Yeah. Go buy more agencies. Absolutely. So it just yeah. really depends upon the industry, you know, and there's, look, there's opportunity all around us and there's some good deals to be had right now. So, and, and COVID, you know, if COVID didn't teach anybody anything, it should teach them this. 
the businesses that are close to going under, and I, I want to be careful how I phrase this because it's so sad that anybody is going under, but you got to make sure that you build your business with a solid foundation on what I call the six P's that we talk about in Exit Rich. And you got to make sure you have at least a year's worth of working capital. And you got to make sure that you're diversified. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, um, I got multiple companies in different verticals. I'm in healthcare. I'm in graphics. Obviously, I'm in M&A. You know, I have a marketing mm. company. But if one company is not doing well, I have other companies that are. And in other states, I mean, I was hit by Hurricane Katrina where 98% of my clients' businesses all literally went underwater. Wow. And that taught me the biggest lesson of all was never have all my business here in New Orleans. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair point. So, So business owners really need to pay attention to the signs and say, gosh, if I had a year's worth of working capital, if I was diversified, if I had, you know, not only maybe diversified, like when I say diversified, you can be in the same, you can, you know, you can be in business and be in different industries, right? Yeah. You know, that way, if one industry goes down, you have another industry and really have that one to two years worth of working capital. And when something like this happens, then you can weather the storm. You're in a much better position to weather the storm. Cause I promise you things like this will continue to happen. They always have and always will. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, it's interesting you say that. I mean, I found really quickly, you know, I, I mean, being an agency, you're still selling someone else's product. Right. I'm selling a carrier's product. Well, if I get too heavy in one carrier and that state's not performing well for them, they can adjust that. It can make it life difficult for me. Also, just the area I'm in, you know, what if this area, we just, you know, a certain zip code, if I get too heavy in that or a certain state, I get too heavy in that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I am... I am putting my fate in someone else's hands, but I also view that as like uh, a vendor. You know, I was talking to somebody, uh, someone I knew who had a great business. I mean, over a hundred employees, but his basically almost all of his income came from two vendors. He Mm -hmm. lost those two vendors within the same year. Yeah. I mean, look, Um, there's story after story after story like that. Even with businesses that are manufacturing companies and are manufacturing everything in China, and then China shuts down because of COVID and they have no backup manufacturer. Mm, wow. You know, so that's what we talk about in Exit Rich about the profit mistakes that business owners make and how to avoid those. And that's a perfect example. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a skincare line, not skincare, supplement line, a company that I'm looking at representing or maybe even buying myself. And I started asking them all these questions. They have one supplier that makes their products. What happens if something happens to that one supplier? <laughs> yeah. That one supplier has no backup. His kids are trying to run the business. And the one supplier is like in the 70s. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. Wow. So I got another guy who's who has a manufacturing business and everything gets manufactured out of Canada and they have no contract with this Canadian company, plus they have no backup plan. You know, so you always you always gotta have. You always got to cross your T's, dot your I's, and plan for disasters. <laughs> I always have a disaster plan. You know, I've learned that very well going through Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. So with that, you know, you made some good points. Hey, have other businesses or even to other vendors. Now, with what our most of our listeners are probably focusing on, l- let's let's back up a little bit. 
I, 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 I'm pretty certain in saying this, Michelle's not telling you to go start other businesses if the current one you have, you hadn't even figured out yet. Am I correct? Um, absolutely. Because you're just, if you got one mess, you're going to have another mess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fix your one mess. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's talk out, let's talk for the, you know, small guy or gal there that yeah. is, is, is really just grinding after it every day right now. I mean, yeah. you, you mentioned the six P's, which, yep. You know, it sounds like your book is a great place to start to learn how they really need to build that foundation. But I mean, what are what are some of the things you tell them? Hey, this is number one you need to be focusing on. All right, so let me walk 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 you through what I think is number one, what you should be doing when starting or even buying a business because even buying a business you should still do these things, right? Mm -hmm. So number one, always have an expert, always have a mentor, have somebody who's been down your road. Have somebody who's traveled the path you want to travel because it, your path will be much shorter. It's always better to learn from somebody else's mistakes than learn from yours, from your own. That's number one. Number two, plan your exit from the beginning. I'll call this STGPS exit model. What does that mean? I will tell you, most business owners never, ever plan their exit. I never met one that really planned their exit, you know, and people don't plan to fail. They fail the plan. So when you want to drive, so let's talk about the STGPS exit model really quickly. When you want to drive somewhere, what's the first thing you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, and what do you plug in? The address. Yeah, the, the destination. Address. The destination is the word I was looking for. Yeah. You plug in the destination. You know where you're driving to. The problem with business owners is they never know where they're going. They have no destination. So they drive around in circles. They drive up and down the financial hills to eventually end up out of business. So figure out your destination. What is your end game? What is your desired price tag? What do you want to sell your company for? Pick a number. I don't care what the number is. Pick a number. Let's say $20 million. $20 million. Now what does the GPS need to know? Where you're starting. Yeah. What's your current location? Meaning what's your current valuation? Mm -hmm. What is your business worth right now? Do you know that most business owners, you say most business owners, you said you didn't know your numbers. Most business owners don't know their numbers. Most business owners have never, ever had a valuation done on their business. That is financial suicide. Yeah. You know, us humans, we go to the doctor, we get a physical checkup every year to make sure that we're okay. We're still, our heart's still ticking and we're going to keep on kicking, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we drive our car to the mechanic because we want to make sure our car's in good shape. But we never get evaluation. We never get a business evaluation checked up. And I'm here to tell you, business owners need to get evaluation checked up every single year because there are events that increase your valuation and there are events that decrease your valuation. So every year you need to know what your number is. Okay. So let's say you want to sell for $20 million and, and you're worth $5 million. Well, now you have what I call a plan, the start of a plan. Right. Now you need to know time frame. Let's say you want to do that in 10 years. Great. $20 million worth $5 million today, 10 years. Who's your buyers going to be? There's five different types of buyers. Let me tell you who your buyers are not going to be. It's not going to be a first-time buyer because they can't afford a $20 million company. And right. it won't be a turnaround specialist because turnaround specialists buy distressed assets. So it's going to be a PEG, a private equity group, or it will be a strategic slash competitor who buys synergies or it would be a serial entrepreneur that's industry agnostic that chases EBITDA. Mm. Those are your five types of buyers. Then you need to know what's your financial criteria to pay $20 million for a company. Where does a gross, where does a top line revenue need to be? Profit margin, 
most importantly, EBITDA. Where does the wow. EBITDA need to be to get a $20 million price? I'm going to tell you, it needs to be between $3 million to $5 million, depending upon your synergies. You can have a lot of synergies, a lot of proprietary assets, and not as much EBITDA and still get a high price for your business. So then you need to know, well, what synergies are the buyers looking for? What's their specific criteria? And then you build to their specific criteria. It's not that difficult. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> However, that makes sense. The fifth step you need is you need to have a powerful why. Because if it was easy to sell your business for $20 million, everyone would be doing it, right? Right. So you need to have a strong enough why to keep you motivated, to keep you hungry, to keep you in the game, to keep you weathering these different catastrophic events and weathering these different financial storms. And then you build the infrastructure. So you start with the first P. Any questions so far? No, Several, I mean, but it, there is not enough time in this podcast. Sounds like I need to get the book. <laughs> <laughs> you do need to get the book. Accentwitchbook.com. But I can run through the P's really quickly. I don't know how much time we have. Yes, yeah, let's run them. So the first P is people. You don't build a business. You build people and people build the business. Amen. With you. That's it. The number one reason businesses are not sellable is because the owner is tied to the business. I have a dentist that wants to sell, been in business 45 years, two dental hygienists. He doesn't want to stay. The minute he leaves, the clients leave, the patients leave. Okay. So you got to put the right, you got entrepreneurs have to stop doing it all. (laughs) Entrepreneurs need to focus on their strengths and hire their weaknesses. Entrepreneurs must put the right people in the right spots, right positions. And they must ask the who question. Who opens your doors? Who deals with clients? Who handles marketing? Who handles bidding? Who handles legal? Who handles accounting? Who handles transportation, logistics, manufacturing, environmental? The list goes on and on. The clue here, gentlemen, is you should never be next to the who. I like that. Every business owner should list out everything they do in their company and assign names. And if you have, if you put your name next to one of those tasks, then you don't have a business that can run without you. Right. The goal here is to build a sustainable business that operates whether you're there or not. The entrepreneur should be up here as a visionary, have an integrator, have management team in place, and then have all the people that are continually, continuously integrating what is in James's head or what is in Addison's head, right? right? right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people is number one. Product is number two. It's hard to sell a business in a dying industry. You need to ask yourself, is your product, your industry on the way up or on the way out? Are you thriving or dying? Do you have an Amazon and you're in the prime or do you have a blockbuster and you're about to go bust? And if you have a blockbuster, as many many entrepreneurs do right now because of COVID, then you need to stop. (laughs) Stop being transactional and start becoming transformational. Ask yourself these three questions. Amazon did this back in the 90s. Amazon asked themselves, what business are we in? And I said, we're in a book selling business. We sell books. Then I said, well, what do we do really, really well better than anybody else? I said, we do fulfillment really well. Then here's the most important question. What business should we be in? What business should we be in? Those three transformational questions took Amazon from a small bookseller to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. And every business owner needs to do this. And sometimes you need 
an expert, a mentor, because when you're in the middle of your fog, it's foggy. Right. <laughs> See, right. the outsider's perspective. And then the third P is processes. You can't have a, a, a you can never have a sustainable, scalable business if you don't have processes. Most business owners get this wrong because they don't really think about processes until something bad has happened. It's kind of like exit strategy. They don't think about that until something bad has happened. You know, we're still in a manufacturing plant right now where an employee got hurt on a manufacturing um, floor. It was a catastrophic event. And the owner says to me, I need a process for that, a health and safety process. And I'm like, you really needed that before yeah. <laughs> this happened. Kind of have to have a plan. Well, I have another client that has terrible customer service. <laughs> they got blasted all over the internet for their poor service. And now it's, they're really not getting any business. And I go, well, we need a process for customer service, you know, creating great experiences. I'm like, you needed that before this. Yeah. So here's where business owners get this wrong. Most business owners create a process based upon their own agenda. Yeah. Oh, it's better for us not to answer our own phones because it's more cost efficient for us not to answer our own phone. It's better for you to push 20 buttons as a client to get to talk to somebody or to get your problem solved because that's better for us, right? Yeah. That's not yep. better for the client. Right. So design your processes with the client experience in mind. Have y'all ever watched the movie The Founder based upon a McDonald's um, Brothers? I have not. Yeah. yeah. You watched it, Addison? It was on Netflix. One of the best movies ever, right? Yeah. The McDonald Brothers started McDonald's. Ray Kroc came in and took, <laughs> Ray Kroc came in and grew it and took it from the McDonald's Brothers. But the McDonald's Brothers back in the 40s wanted to start a fast food restaurant because the only option back then was to drive up type restaurants and the order was always wrong. The food was always cold, always took so long. So McDonald Brothers said, we're going to start a restaurant and we're going to design it around the customer experience. That's right. We want our customers to get great tasting food. We want it to be hot two minutes or less. Yep. They went to the empty tennis course. You remember that, Addison? Yes. And then there was, you know, I think there was a focus on on the French fries at one point that, that they were trying to. Well, go, go ahead and continue. I swear to God, there's some illegal drugs in those French fries because they're <laughs> the most addicting French fries they ever. Are. Yeah, yeah. But at any rate, so they go out to the tennis courts, they map out all the processes, they erase it. They do this all day with their employees to figure out who's going to take the order, who's going to toast the buns, who's going to cook the burger, who's going to put the two pickles on the buns, give it back to the clients. Those processes that were designed with the customer experience of mine for, you know, back in the 40s, even though they've been tweaked along the way, it's why you can eat at a McDonald's anywhere in the world and get the same experience, right? Because of their processes. You know, they never said... We're, we're going to serve quality food or it's going to be organic. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So that's what business owners need to get right. Figure out the customer experience, not your own agenda. Then design your processes around the customer's experience to be effective and productive. How many times have you called? I'm not going to name names because I could very easily, but these big banks, mm-hmm. these social media companies, Yep. You can't get through to anybody. Heaven forbid if you were hacked. Good yeah. luck, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so their their processes are designed for their own agenda. So your processes should be productive, efficient, designed with the customer experience in mind. And most importantly, you should have your policy and procedure managers. You should have your SOP checklist, and you should have all your ducks in a row because that's the first thing the buyer is going to ask for in due diligence. Yep. 
And that's, that's something that, that um, we, we, what we started a few years ago was, you know, who is, who is our client, right? right? And then giving them a name saying, let's just say Bob is, is the, the main client that we deal with on a regular basis. When they come in or they make a phone call in, how is that presented to us, right? Is it, are they, are they coming directly to me? Are they coming to the admin staff? What is that, that direction? And then basing everything off of, of if you call in and, and you want to buy a home, right? What happens next? What is, what is the, the, the track flow of, of what that looks like? And then how can we make it better on each piece that, you know, talking to the client, you know, you had a bad experience with, you know, so-and-so agent. Well, what was the problem? Oh, they were not mm-hmm. commu- communicative. They, you know, didn't handle things on time. They weren't efficient. And then building what we did completely opposite of that. And then, you know, having those open communications. So that, that's, that's amazing that, yep. that even, you know, that most people don't even think about that. They don't. We have two books in our office. One is, one is called Wow, W-O-W, and one is called Unwow. <laughs> <laughs> so every time a team member you know, goes out of the way to create a wow experience for a client. Like Zappos is really good at this. Zappos, Zappos whole slogan and motto is we create happiness. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, it's so our book of wow is every time somebody goes out of the way and creates a great experience for a client, we put that in the book of wow. Every time somebody does something not so great, that goes in the book of unwow. Yeah. <laughs> and awesome. then the stuff in the book of unwow gets into the policy and procedure manual exactly. and the SOP exactly. yeah so i i strongly encourage you to have a book of wow a book of unwow dr needle cabane who i love and adore came to this country speaking zero english is on the board of um lazy boy panera bread company a bunch of other companies and he's the president of high point university he has a director of wow at his university and he has a director of unwow <laughs> so every time that they mess up like at the dorm he was telling me an example not too long ago he's going to be on my podcast in a few weeks but he was telling me an example he said that uh you know there was a leak in the dorm in the shower whatever when they take students in the first thing they do is they ask you what is your favorite candy bars what's your favorite snacks what's your favorite drinks and they have this whole you know portfolio on what are all your favorite things so when they mess up, they deliver a basket to your door with all the with all your favorite things. Amazing, Holy right? Genius. Yeah. Director Unreal. of Wow, Director of Unwow. <laughs> so the fourth P, if you want to move on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Proprietary. Proprietary will take you from a four multiple to a five, six, seven, eight, maybe even ten. The more you build your proprietary assets, the more I can sell your business for. So there are six pillars to proprietary. Number one is branding. The more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your business for. As long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Does anybody want to pay any money for Blockbuster? Anybody? No. No. But you'll probably still pay, pay money for Toys R Us because it's still relevant in the mind of the consumers. Yeah. So do you know which brand is the biggest, most valuable brand in the world right now? Uh, is it Hill Burton? Nope. I don't even think they're on the top 10. Hmm. Is it Berkshire Hathaway? No. Hmm. Not on the top 10. 
Apple. Apple. $349 billion just for the brand. That's not counting cash flow, inventory, assets, accounts, receivables, real estate, or anything else. McDonald's is in that top 10. Coca-Cola's in that top 10. So build your brand, build your exit. Trademarks, extremely valuable. Here's a big mistake business owners make. They go start their business, they get a state trademark for their company name. But they never check the federal database to make sure it's available. Why is that an issue? Well, let's see. I've had lots of clients be in business and all of a sudden receive a cease and desist letter in the mail and they have to stop using that company name. They always hire attorneys. They always throw thousands upon thousands of dollars at the problem and the problem never goes away. You have to stop using that name. So make sure you get a federal trademark on your company name, on your podcast, your book, anything that is unique to you, products. We're selling a company for in a $70 million range and they have, they have retail grocery stores and they have exclusive products in these different stores. And each product has an exclusive federal trademark. Very valuable. Patents are valuable. Do you ever watch Shark Tank? Yeah. Yeah. What does every investor always ask every single? Does investor? it have a patent? Do you have what a patent? patent? Do you have a patent pending? Do you have a patent? This offers contingent. My offer is contingent upon you having a utility patent. Yep. You know? yep. Yeah, so patents are huge. I mean, we sold a company for $18, $18 million that wasn't making that much money, but they had 18 patents. Wow. Contracts are big. Manufacturing contracts, distributor contracts, contracts, vendor contracts, franchisor, who has franchisees. The most valuable contracts are your client contracts. Here's a caveat to client contracts. Most business owners don't have the two-sentence transferability clause. That says that this contract is transferable upon a new entity. I once saw a franchisor sell their business to private equity group. Now, I was not the MA advisor in this one. <laughs> <laughs> they did their due diligence. They had a huge party. None of the franchisees liked this franchisor at all. And none of them transferred over. And guess what? They didn't have to because the contracts oh did not have a transferability clause. And no one in due diligence caught it. And no one went to the franchisees to get them to sign the transfer of consent. The consent of transfer. So the private equity group ended up filing bankruptcy. There's only two people transferred out of like 2000. And sued the whole legal team and won. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, so make sure you have that transferability clause. Databases are another big one. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. How much money was WhatsApp making? They weren't making much. They yeah. were hemorrhaging. They were just not, not making much. They were hemorrhaging. Yeah, <laughs> I remember That's they came on and then just kind of fell out. Yeah. They, you know, but here's what they had. They had a synergy that Facebook wanted. They had a billion users. Yep. And Facebook knew they could monetize and ROI that. So databases are very valuable. Another thing that's very valuable is celebrity endorsements. Huge. We're selling a company that has Oprah endorsing their products. Radio um, personality endorsements are huge. E-commerce businesses, when you, um, if they can get the top three positions on Wayfair, Etsy, Amazon, competitors and strategics will pay a lot of money for that. And residual and reoccurring revenue will get a much higher multiple than a company that doesn't have that. 
Makes sense. Oh yeah, for sure. Makes great sense. That's why I love insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I know me too. I should be in the, I should diversify and get an insurance business. And then just, the, is, just call me. The, the fifth, <laughs> well, you're buying everybody up. Yeah. <laughs> the fifth multiple, the fifth multiple, listen to me. The fifth P is patrons. This is your client base. And most businesses follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of your business comes from 20% of your clients. Mm-hmm. Or like you were saying earlier, James, from your two vendors. Yeah. You know? So you got to be very careful with client concentration or vendor concentration. You know, we were once selling a marketing advertising company that had five clients. We we're selling them in a $10 million range. Ooh. Their five clients were casinos. During that process, they lost two of the five. Mm. Their, their revenues dropped in half. Wow. So you got to be very, you want customer diversification, not customer concentration. And then the last P, the most important P to all entrepreneurs is profits. Right. We all want to make, be in, in business to make money. But, you know, everybody says, Michelle, why do you put profits last? Because if you don't do these other five things, you will never be profitable or you won't be profitable for long. It's not sustainable. Profit is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not operating on one of the other five Ps. People call me up all the time. Some sure I got a profit problem. I don't look at their business. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. Or no, you have a mm. process problem. Right. So this is what business owners need to do from the start. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. absolutely. 100%. What, what I'm thinking is, is that there's a lot of people listening to this right now and going, well, that's not my business. I can't sell it for $10 million. I'm barely trying to pay myself right now. Like You can't do then, it now, but you yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is perfect. You're not, you're not the person listening to this that's got 20 years in that is leveraged everything and feels like you're stuck. Like, good. You're in a position where you can lay down some great ground rules and like some and make this happen going forward. And it should hopefully speed your process. Do it right from the beginning. Do it right from the beginning. So many business owners have been in business for 10 years, really have to go back. Because they haven't innovated, they're not marketing, they don't have the right people in the right place. And, you know, so many things are being done wrong. I mean, I remember the first time I started my M&A practice, I mean, the very first business I saw was a small flower shop. We all start somewhere. Yeah. But you want to build on success, you know. And if you can't afford to hire somebody, you know, I always say you can't afford not to. But listen, you can get 1099s. If you're around colleges, you can get interns. We're in the middle of four different colleges and we have a wait list. We have a wait list for analysts. We have a wait list for marketing interns. We have a wait list um, for, for sales support interns. Where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Okay. But you need to start building on this foundation because if you don't start this now and you don't build the infrastructure, so many business owners chase sell, 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 sells. And that's great, but you can get so many sales that your whole business can collapse because you don't have the infrastructure. Have you ever seen businesses open and go out of business right away? Yeah. Because they don't have the infrastructure to stay in business. Yeah. You know, like restaurants are, are, are you know, perfect example of this or coffee shops. A new restaurant will open. People leave the restaurant that they know and love to go try out the new restaurant because everybody wants to try something new. Right. Yeah. But guess what? The employees are not trained. Right. <laughs> they got people that are not trained. Right. Yeah. So their people are not doing a good job. Their processes are not, their processes are not structured. They're not put in place. They're not perfected. Right. Mm -hmm. So then 
they create a horrible experience for the client and the client never wants to go back. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to build on this foundation and exit rich. Otherwise your business will not be sustainable and scalable. And, and, and look, I'm by no means an expert, but I will, I will attest it goes quick. It seems like the other day I was just getting going and years have passed now. And you say, well, I'll work on that next time. The time goes and you're not going to get it back. So, you know, and you can't do everything yourself. You yeah. can't, you got to hire yeah. people. And you know, in the beginning, you might just be able to get 1099s. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But if you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant. Yeah. You can't do everything yourself. Because That's you'll never true, get- man. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle, this has been awesome. I mean, you've given us a ton of information. Our listeners a ton of information. Tell them uh, where, where is, uh, where they can find your book. Sure. So you can go get my book at exitrichbook.com. I do like to, I do want to say that Sharon Lecter is my co-author who wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. Have you guys heard of Rich Dad Poor Dad? Yes. Yes. So she's a New York Times bestselling author five times. She's a CPA, a financial literacy expert, and the advisor to many different presidents. Plus her her husband is an intellectual patent attorney. (laughs) So she's written the mentor's corner after every chapter. So we're in the middle of pre-sales, but you can go get the book at exitrichbook.com or Amazon, but it's less expensive at exitrichbook.com. It's $24.79. We will email you the digital download immediately so you can start reading it today. We will ship the hardcover to your doorstep when it launches. And then we give you a lifetime membership into Exit Rich Book Club. So if you like what you're hearing here, there's a lot more of me doing this on video content in the Exit Rich Book Club. Plus, we have documents. So you need documents to run your business and sell your business. We have example non-competes, example um, employee handbooks, organizational charts. For selling businesses, we have sample letter of intent, sample purchase agreements, sample due diligence checklist, sample closing docs. All these documents, if you want to your attorney to create, are worth over $25,000. You get them not just for your review, but you can also download them. And then we're also given a 30-day free membership in the club CEOs, which is the Entrepreneurship Mastermind, where we ask those transformational questions and help business owners really build a a sustainable, scalable, and sellable business. Amazing. And if people want to learn more about you, where where do you, do you recommend just the Exit Rich website or is there anybody that should be following you or uh, watch more of your content? Yep, two things. So they can go to my website, which is SilerTucker.com, SilerTucker.com. My phone number's there. They can also text Michelle to 888-526-5750. And they will receive my website on my social media if they want to follow me on social media. And everything will be at the fingertips. Yeah. And we'll uh, we'll make sure that we tag everything below. And um, we'll make sure we put a link in there for your book and all the good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So that I mean, this was, this was very informational for sure. I mean, I, I, if you didn't pull anything out of this... You just weren't listening. You're not listening. Period. Don't like, let it overwhelm you. Like also. Zig Ziglar, like Zig Ziglar used to say, if you're not all fired up, your matches are wet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, my favorite Zig Ziglar is when he said, man, when I got into sales, I sold a lot. I sold the furniture in the house. I sold the dog because I was so broke. Uh, that's one of my favorites. I love that. I was like, man, isn't that the truth? So I love hey, Zig, yeah. this overwhelmed you, which wouldn't surprise me if it did. Go back, listen to this again, get the book, take some time. You know, that's one thing about when people get books and I've been guilty of it too. You get a good book you like, all right? Don't just read it and put it on the shelf. Like wear that thing out. 
like mark it up, make notes. So when you come back and you read it again and you read it again and you read it again, like you pick up a little bit more. It's like watching a good movie. You catch stuff as you go. Mm -hmm. Same thing with a good book. Make sure you do that. All right. You're trying to get better. You're trying to learn, find one nugget. The next time you do it, find another nugget. All right. So with that, Addison, you got anything else we need to leave off with? Um, yeah. So, uh, guys, we are, we do have a sponsor. It is with, um, Jocko fuel. So make sure to check them out as well. Yep. Um, but again, I can't thank you enough, Michelle. This is, this has really been a lot of information and it's been really great. Um, we'll have, definitely have to have you on again, hopefully in the future, once your book does come out officially. Yep. Um, and then we can you know, go into a little bit further once I read it and James reads it and we'll be able to kind of tie in a little bit further um, into a little bit more into the weeds, as they say. Awesome. We can talk about um, financials, valuations, negotiations next time. Yes, that would be perfect. I love no, that. Love it. Love it. So everybody right. needs to stay tuned. <laughs> well, thank you, gentlemen, for having me. It's my it's sincere my, pleasure being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate thank you. you. All right. Appreciate y'all. And with that, grind her out.